Welcome to the second week of Theology on Tap. Okay, so our series theme is The Road to Emmaus, and it was chosen by our young adult planning team, and they worked together for the past few months to plan this event. So throughout our series, the speakers will unpack the ways that we can find Christ in chaos, suffering, scripture, and the breaking of the bread as did the two followers of Christ on the road to Emmaus. That's a great story. I love that story. All right. So our patrons for this series, we've asked for the intercession of St. Pope John Paul II, who is the patron of young people, young adults. St. Cleophas, who was present on the road to Emmaus. And so you can read a little more on the backside of the prayer card, um, why we chose them as our patron saints. So what we're going to do is we're going to start with a prayer, as we always do at Theology on Tap. So I would invite you to say the prayer with me. If you've logged in or if you have a prayer card, you can follow along with us. So in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, stay with us, Lord, for it is almost evening. Lord, this was the insistent invitation of the two disciples journeying to Emmaus on the evening of the day of the resurrection. They addressed these words to you, the wayfarer, who had accompanied them on their journey. Weighed down with sadness, they never imagined this stranger was you, their master, risen from the dead. Yet they felt their hearts burning within them. As you spoke to them and explained the scriptures, light of the world unlocked the hardness of our hearts and opened our eyes. Amid the shadows of the passing day and the darkness that clouds our spirits, O divine wayfarer, bring a ray of light which will rekindle our hope and lead our hearts to yearn for the fullness of light. Stay with us, we plead. As you agreed to the disciples' request, please agree to ours. Stay with us. Soon afterwards, Jesus, your face would appear from the sight of the disciples, yet you, the Master, would stay with them, hidden in the breaking of the bread, which had opened their eyes to recognize you. Jesus, may we learn to recognize you in our midst and become aware of your presence in every circumstance, particularly the gift of the Scriptures and the Eucharist. Amen. St. Cleophas and St. Paul, St. Pope John Paul II, pray for us. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. All right. So now I'm going to introduce our speaker. Um, she's a personal friend of mine and our family. We've, I've been known her since I was uh, knee-high to a grasshopper. Um, her name is Mary Glowalski. She is the assistant in pastoral care to Bishop Kevin C. Rhodes of the Diocese of Fort Wayne South Bend. A licensed social worker, Mary received her master's degree in pastoral theology from the University of Dayton. She has worked extensively with Catholic charities, serving the poor and directing refugee resettlement. Mary served as a pastoral associate at St. John the Baptist in Fort Wayne yeah. for more than 20 years. During that time, she was asked to become a, the victim assistance coordinator for the diocese. She holds that position today, along with supporting Bishop Rhodes, by responding to a myriad of other pastoral concerns as well. Here is primarily a ministry of response to sensitive situations involving or expressed by both laity and clergy. She is currently a member of the board of directors for the St. Joseph Community Health Foundation, a ministry of the poor handmaids of Jesus Christ, and serves as a consultant for serious pastoral concerns for other religious communities throughout Northern Indiana. She has two sons, Paul and Patrick, both married to wonderful young women, Molly and Jessica. And the delight of her life are her three grandchildren, four grandchildren. Three. Three. Oh, three. Okay. I take four. <laughs> I'll, let, I'll let Pat know. Yoshito, Charlotte, and Callum. That's what I was right. Okay. So without further ado, I will hand it over to the professional of speaking, Mary. So give her a nice warm welcome. Thank you. Good evening. I'm <laughs> I'm happy to be here. I have 
thought about this particular topic since Stacy asked me, and I keep changing it, so who knows what the Holy Spirit's going to do here tonight. I work primarily with people who are suffering. Um, often it might be a victim of priest abuse, which is one of my primary responsibilities, but it's also walking with people with all kinds of personal struggles, um, and they invite me in, and then I get to walk with them. And, and uh, every time they teach me something new about courage, um, certainly suffering, but more important than like just suffering, it's how they live it with such integrity and faith. So there is not a soul here. Um, can I say right at the beginning, I'm really distracted by babies. So <laughs> there's one over here and one over here. So um, there's not a soul here tonight who hasn't suffered in some way, somehow. And um, what we know is suffering, and you think about even not just for yourself, but other people that you've known have suffered a great deal. Um, everything is changed. Everyone is changed. And more importantly, when great suffering comes to our lives, we're changed. And so we have to ask ourselves, what does that mean and what can that bring us to? Suffering, this kind of change that comes with suffering is often uninvited. Um, even those things that we do that cause suffering, like we make poor choices and it causes suffering, we didn't consciously invite the, the suffering. So it's always uninvited. Um, it's usually a shock. And um, it calls us to something um, usually when we're the least able to respond because we're overwhelmed. It can be the loss of a trusted friendship, the loss of a job or a dream, the loss of physical health, a broken marriage or broken relationship, the loss of someone we really believe we cannot live without and can't even imagine taking a breath without that person. Then come, um, if you think about that experience in your own life, there's always these soul-searing questions that come with it. How do I bear this burden? And what do I do? And what, where is God in this? And in fact, I feel like God is nowhere in this, that he's abandoned me. Usually everything that we has changed in a way that everything has shifted and that those things that we really counted on um, to help us all these things that we know about ourselves and the friends that we know will, will kind of carry us through. It's all shifted, and it doesn't feel so stable anymore. When you read the story of Emmaus, um, we look at those people who were Jesus's friends, and they really believed in Jesus, right? They really believed. They saw everything that happened. They genuinely believed that Jesus was the one who was going to save them, he was going to take them to safety, bring them to peace, um, help them overcome their, the, the oppression and suffering that they had experienced, and they watched the crucifixion. They believed, but yet they had to question, like, well, what did that mean? Um, because it didn't end up looking like they thought that it would look. Um, when I read this story several times as I prepared for this evening, it made me realize how utterly human Jesus's friends were and how we share in that same humanity. And that's the marvelous thing about scripture. When we talk about some of the things that we see in the world, such great suffering. And we often think, what are we going to do? It's never been this bad before. We've never done this before. We've never gotten to this a place before. All we need to do is read the scriptures. And we realize, yeah, we have, that we share that same humanity. Given what they had witnessed, the suffering and the pain of Jesus, it's no wonder they ask those questions like, what the heck? Like, how did this happen? This is not what we believed would come. This is not what we believed Jesus has meant when he told us uh, who he was and what he would do for us in our lives. Reasonable and rational. Um, the problem is suffering is neither reasonable or rational. The story, I think, in part is inviting us to really look at our own humanity and to be honest about it. Um, and I think um, it brings us to, like, question, um, I think, whether or not we can see value in our suffering, but more important, you know, what is Jesus asking for us in the suffering? 
one of the things that I, you know, I work with so many people who suffer terrible things. Um, and one of the things we've done in our culture is actually not make suffering so okay. Um, and one of the things that we do as people of faith is we often try to make it more okay because of our faith than it really is. This story calls us to real deep honesty, to really look at what we're suffering and to be honest about it and how it's impacting us. Suffering brings us often to a place of darkness in our lives, again, where we can't find anything. We can't find God. We can't find hope. Um, and one of the things that we often do to ourselves and sometimes other people do to us is shame us in that suffering. And so I'm hoping this story can help us move from that. One of the lines in the, one of the passages in the story is, they stood still, their faces downcast. Well, who wouldn't be downcast given what they had seen? And again, when we think about our own suffering, the truth of it is um, we need to be downcast. Jesus calls us to be absolutely to the ground, authentic and honest with what we're thinking and we're feeling. Um, sometimes as Catholics, we try to spiritualize things, or Christians, we try to spiritualize things, and we don't give ourselves the space to say how honestly we feel what these sufferings, whatever they may be, um, what they're doing to us and to our soul, to our hearts, how we see the world. And Jesus, that's completely opposite to what Jesus calls to. Sometimes we often um, judge our own pain, and on occasion, we encounter people who judge our pain. We look at other people, and we seem to think that they have more faith, that they're stronger than we are, that they have more courage than we are. And I can tell you, whenever we compare ourselves to someone else, even in suffering, we're comparing what we see as the weakest in ourselves to what we see in them as the their greatest strength. So we're always going to lose. We're always going to lose. And part of the story calls us not to do that. To, you know, these, men, these friends of Jesus, they were walking. They were walking. They didn't know what else to do. They just kept walking. There's true call in that. We know that our faith and our love for Jesus Christ is no guarantee for a pain-free life. Um, and I think in our, our faith lives, there are moments when we think that when we have a deep and close relationship with Jesus, um, somehow our sufferings won't feel as bad or they won't have as great an impact. Well, the truth is in my life, I would certainly say that the opposite is true. Because when I go to that place of deep feeling of hurt and sometimes just raw pain, um, and you look at Jesus in the cross, that's what was there. That was what was there. Many years ago now, my oldest brother, Joe, um, he was an awesome older brother, and he was murdered. And at the time, I thought, I grew up in Goshen and um, New Paris, not very far away, and very little small community. Um, and at the time, uh, you can imagine how traumatic that was, because whoever, I mean, like, that was just so out of our paradigm. Um, I thought at the time we would never, ever, ever be happy again as a family. And perhaps some of you have had the experience when you've experienced such a great suffering that you've thought, I can never be happy again, or I'm never going to be the same. Well, my family, me, um, we were never the same. But inch by inch, um, person by person, prayer by prayer, meal brought to the house by meal brought to the house, love shown over and over and over again was how we healed. And that is exactly what the men, the people, the friends of Jesus found on the road to Emmaus, that there is only one place to find healing, um, to find Christ, and that has to be in love. There's a teaching in Judaism that when the Jews were walking in the exile, God wasn't just with them, like standing like above them, like over them, um, kind of watching, uh, but he was walking with them. 
Um, and if you think about that image in your own lives, um, when are the times that Jesus, you could really feel Jesus walking with you? And, and it may be um, like the question is, who was that walking with you? Jesus is present to us in our suffering, but we need to look for the love. I mean, I'd like to say, you know, like some giant theological something, but the truth is um, we usually only see where Jesus was in our lives or where Christ was in our suffering looking retrospectively, right? We can look back and we can see all those things, all those places where Jesus intersected. Um, but in faith, and it takes great courage to have faith when we're suffering, to believe that he's there even if we can't see him. However, as believers, as lovers of God, we, um, even in the most painful struggles in our lives, are being asked to call to enter into the struggle of our lives fully, honestly, and intentionally, because that's where we'll find renewal and hope, not to deny it. Although it can be hard to believe, um, especially when we're in it, the story has something to teach us if we let it, if we let it, our own stories. God can never leave us without hope. It can feel like we don't have hope, but God cannot ever leave us without hope. Perhaps one of the most disappointing things about um, our suffering is the very people sometimes that we really count on to be with us, the people that we think are going to walk with us and stay with us and provide us all that we need, end up not being those people. I suspect more than one or two of you in this out here um, have had the experience of really thinking that a particular person was going to be able to stand by you and yet they didn't. And so that kind of really makes the suffering even more complicated and more painful. But the very person who could bring Jesus's friends comfort and peace and a sense of um, relief, perhaps, in their pain, um, they couldn't see. And part of the reason they couldn't see is because Jesus was unexpected in that moment. He came in an unfamiliar way. It was a surprise. They weren't expecting him. So part of the call of our suffering is to be open to the fact that God will respond to us, but it may not be like we think it's going to look like. Um, and when we can do that, it can be surprising the ways that he can, sh that he can um, bring us comfort. Um, I know that I've had the experience of disappointment counting on people, someone who would really know th and know that that particular person would be the one who would see me and yet didn't, see me through but yet didn't. But the truth is God does not abandon us because he can't. Um, he calls us to be honest again with our suffering. And I have to be honest with you. I find um, many of the young people that come to speak to me or with me um, I feel a lot of shame if they don't feel like they're doing their suffering the way that they should or the way they think other people think they should or that it should look a, a certain way. But you're never going to find anything in Scripture that says anything about what it should look like except this, to believe that you're never abandoned, that you are loved. That's the only way to find Christ. It's in love because Christ is love. The thing is, this love may not look like we think it should be, it could call us, our suffering certainly calls us to be open. Um, and the very time when we want to kind of like hold it in, um, not be vulnerable because we've been so hurt, that's the very time that Jesus says, I need you to hold loosely those things that you think you need, those things that maybe have been helpful to you in the past when you've been suffering, to hold them loosely because I have something new to give you. There's another passage in the, in the Emmaus story. In addition, some of the women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but did not find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. This leads us to the questions and the possibilities for true transformation that can be so surprising for us when we hold and carry our own suffering know that it's held in love, and then the healing comes when we can then share that 
same love with someone else who's suffering. Um, I know that at times it can be very discouraging, and I think um, part of that discouragement, again, comes because we have these expectations that we have to do our suffering in a certain way. But I know that if you anticipate, um, I think about my husband died many years ago now, but when he was ill and I was anticipating what that was going to be like and feel like, when he finally died, it was nothing like that, right? So there's no way of preparing. The only way of preparing is to know and to trust and to love that Christ has given us, and we all have access to that. The friends of Jesus were struggling in their suffering to find meaning, but it was not until they were open to the call of amazement and to the realization that the spiritual life, our spiritual lives in community, are not simply a matter of good lives, not meeting the obligations of our faith, or of having good reputation, or being very good prayers and witnesses. We talk a lot about discipleship. We talk a lot about being good disciples and um, doing lots of things in our faith. Um, those things can strengthen us. Those things can enable us um, to be more attentive to one another and, and even to our own pain, which is actually the most important thing, not selfish, but it's real, but to know that our openness and our vulnerability are the things that lead us to Christ. And because we carry Christ, um, leads us to one another, to lean into one another, to lean into our own suffering and to lean into the suffering of one another. It can lead us to hard questions. Um, how does our suffering really um, have meaning? It is not uncommon in my work and in my world for somebody who's suffering will say, um, I know God makes good out of all things. That's kind of a hard sell sometimes. Um, he gives us what we need to make good out of it. But just the thing, when you look at what's happening in Uvalde, um, the Ukraine, the suffering here in Fort Wayne. I don't know if any of you go downtown Fort Wayne very often, but there's a lot of homeless people in Fort Wayne. There's a lot of suffering. There's a lot of people in this community who don't have food or places to live. Um, is there good in that? Well, if we enter in, if we enter in and love the way that Jesus did, the, le the way that Jesus calls us to, yeah, there can be great good. But if we stand outside of it, outside of our own suffering and our own pain, um, and not enter into that, and then not enter into the pain of others, I'm not sure. I mean, Christ is there, whether we're in it or not, but what's he calling us to? What is our suffering teaching us, um, not just for ourselves, but in order to reach out and to be with others who are suffering? We have to ask ourselves when we kind of get to the other side, what is God asking of me? How has this suffering changed me? Um, and sometimes, you know, that, that can be a hard question because it can be good. I mean, there can be many ways that I can be changed. I can be stronger. I can be more honest. Um, but I can also be la less trusting. I can be more fearful. Those are all real things. And our faith does not call us to spiritualize those things or deny them, but to really enter into them. Jesus always calls us forward. He's always calling us to look honestly at who we are so we can see him in that suffering and that pain. In the end, I found that he asks us to see someone who be, um, who is he asking me to see? Who is he asking me to be to witness of that love that I've been given? Um, who's he asking me to witness that to, to share that with? And we can kind of come up with easy answers, and we, we can, you know, like certainly our family and our friends. But I think when we're truly changed, when there's true transformation, when there's something that we've suffered, and I see this in the victims of, of abuse, um, priest and otherwise, many of them don't go to church, but they are the most faith-filled people I've ever met. They're the most courageous people that I've ever met. They are intolerant of a lack of honesty. 
They want the truth straight up. And that's what Jesus calls us to. That's what Jesus calls us to. Because that's where we'll find his love. Um, And that is, I mean, when you talk about where is Christ in suffering, it can only be in love. It can only be there. Fear, isolation, desolation, vulnerability, exhaustion, all those things come with suffering. But by embracing our suffering honestly, by really embracing the truth of the pain, which we witnessed Jesus do, and we witnessed him do that on the cross, um, we witness the friends of on the road to Emmaus, his friends. He didn't shame them, um, but he did say, look to me, look to me. And you have to look with a different set of eyes. Suffering changes our vision. It changes our eyes. It changes how we see if we let it, if we let it. God, in the end, is with, we know, in with us every second, um, in every breath. But I want to say to you tonight that it's okay if you don't feel that sometimes. When we're in great pain, it's not a lack of faith. Um, It's an act of great faith to say, and many of the people that I work with will say, I've been abandoned. I was abandoned. You know, one of the privileges I have in walking with people who have been abused in some way They always want to know, do I believe them? And then they ask the worst question I'm ever asked. If it's true that God loves me, why didn't he help me? Why did he abandon me? And early, early on, I probably felt, well, I'm sure I did, felt that I had some responsibility to kind of like come up with some answer to that. Um, Talk about hubris, right? Um, Now I know that I don't, I couldn't possibly answer that question. Um, But I also know that given time and space and comfort and healing and love, that person will find it. They will find it. But it's not mine to give, right? It's Jesus's to give. I want to read one more passage from um, the story of Emmaus before we close. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together, saying, It's true. The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what they had happened on the ro- on the way and how Jesus was recognized by 10 when he broke the bread. Um, you know, our faith tells us that the resurrection is the surest sign that even in our own suffering, there will be a resurrection that will experience healing. And I know that that can just come if Jesus you know, it's, it's in Jesus' providence to just, like, give that to us. Um, but I have to be honest, in my life, I haven't known that to happen. Um, what I've known and what I've experienced, and again, in the great courage of the people that I serve, is they work for it in their honesty and their compassion Um, their willingness to hold, again, to hold loosely what they think something should look like. When they trust being vulnerable with others, um, and again, someone perhaps unusual, an unusual suspect, um, and oftentimes in our suffering, unusual suspects step up. Um, People that you didn't even know might pop up and be someone who can be really trustworthy. But in the end, it is the grace of certain belief that that we're not abandoned and never, never can be. Um, There's nothing that can happen to us or nothing that we can do that can make God not love us. So it's really not about us uh, finding Christ in the suffering. It's trusting that we know he already is there. And when we can't do that, um, 
there are probably other people around us in our lives who will help remind us of that. So the call to vulnerability, the call to trust, the willingness then to take that as we heal to serve other people with that love, um, that for me is finding Christ in our suffering. Thank you. All right. I hope these were uh, as these conversations were as fruitful as ours was at our table. Um, so that kind of wraps up our kind of our discussion segment. I hope it kind of prompted some questions. So right now we're going to go into the Q and A, and you can feel free to ask Mary anything you want within realm, right? <laughs> So I'm not going to put her on the spot to divulge anything crazy. But, uh, yeah, guys, if you have questions, yeah, Aram here. We all learn from good questions. So if you have a question, raise your hand, and Alec will come. Father Patrick, no, you don't have questions, man. You never have questions. What's up? So I have two jobs at Theology on Tap versus prayer. I was late today. Sorry. <laughs> Second is ask the first question. So my group, so my group, so my group was confused by the term of self-compassion because the word compassion means to suffer with. So how do you suffer with yourself? Well, there's the definition of compassion, but what does it look like? What's the action of compassion? And com, the root word, it's the same root word as communion, community, come with. So it's being uh, literally with ourselves, showing passion for ourselves, um, being honest, um, that we feel something, and um, it's really hard not to judge ourselves. So moving away from the judgment and just being honest, yeah, this is what I feel. And then caring for ourselves in that. You know, when we judge ourselves, we're not being very caring towards anybody, right? If we judge somebody, we're not being very caring towards them. And it's the same thing with ourselves. We have to provide ourselves the care that we need when we're suffering um, to find some kind of peace and healing. Um, kind of piggybacking off of that, what are some specific ways that you see people judge themselves in that way? And then what are some good ways that you've seen people respond to those judgments of themselves? Mm -hmm. Well, I guess I'd like to ask all of you, what, what are some ways that you've seen people judge themselves? Like, what is your experience of that? Yes. Ooh, that's a bad one. <laughs> Did you hear that? You compare your suffering to someone else, and, and so we'll say, well, I have this, but what they have is worse, right? Um, what does that do? That, that denies the pain, which denies the truth. And God works in truth, right? God can't work in something that we're not really looking at and that we're denying that's going on in us. So um, looking at others and saying, you know, what they have is really painful, it can give us perspective, right? But perspective should not be shaming. It should be rooting. It roots us in the truth of, yeah, this is, this is, what they're suffering right now is really, um, compared to what I have, is um, there really maybe isn't comparison. Um, but that doesn't mean what I have isn't real. And, and we can't really be compassionate and reach out to that other person if we're not being real about our own. When talking about uh, suffering and talking about... Um, you know, every difficulty that you face, whether it's from a person or just from a situation, how would you say, if there's uh, e even if there's more than one way, the best way to come into accordance with um, kind of your foe or your enemy or whatever it is that is making you suffer, especially if it, uh, you know, means bad intentions towards you? There's suffering that happens to us, right? There's things that happen to us that we have no control over. 
Um, then there's the suffering that I choose. It's the suffering that, um, that it just comes to you and it's somebody, um, that, that wants to, uh, knock you off like while they've got you caught off guard so that you're a little more emotional to it rather than maybe being more reactionary towards it. Does that make sense? So somebody's done something or said something to you, not to you personally, but to you pejoratively, right? And and it's caught you off guard. And when trying to talk and reason with the person, you're just finding that person to be borderline incorrigible. You just can't, like, they're not opening up to any kind of other ideas or suggestions that you have for them. Okay. Um, I'm not sure what this is about suffering and... In, in, Exactly. But here's the thing. You can't be rational with irrational people. And we're not responsible for what other people do, say, or feel. So if somebody says something to us that is really um, a difficult thing to hear, um, or they want to challenge us in something, and we're not getting anywhere with them, um, to continue to try and navigate that with them is really fruitless. Um, so, you know, you need to have enough care for yourself. I need to have a care, enough care for myself to say, you know what, I, you know, I really uh, respect, you may not say these words out loud, but, uh, you know, I respect you, I love you, but I'm not doing this. I guess it was kind of like, how do you forgive your worst enemy oh, or somebody along, okay. along those lines? <laughs> yeah, and it, it, it's not just forgiving, but trying to understand them. You know, sometimes uh, we ask ourselves to understand uh, other people's bad behavior. And we think we need to understand that, like, that's an act of compassion. Well, the greater act of compassion and truth may be just to call it out. And again, not necessarily with them, because, you know, we don't want to be fighting with people necessarily. Um, but sometimes, you know, we have to say to ourselves and know that someone else's bad behavior is not my responsibility. And um, there are some behaviors, some things that people have done or said, or um, you know, some action that they've taken that there is not understanding for it. Um, now, that's about the action. That's not about the person. And here's the really hard part. Sometimes when someone really hurts us or takes an action that we don't understand, um, what's the first thing that I often hear and I've in my own life when somebody has done something very hurtful to me, I will say, what did I do? What did I do? Well, I may not have done anything. And even if I did do something, does that mean someone has the right to be hurtful to me? Right. Um, it's about personal boundary. It's about knowing your own value. Uh, forgiveness is a whole different thing. So the word forgiveness, forgiving. Right. Um, even people that I don't understand or I have angry feelings towards or I'm upset with as I work through that. Um, I want to seek forgiveness because if I'm not forgiving you over here, that's impacting other relationships. That's the hard part about not forgiving somebody. We carry that with us like like it's on our back and we carry it with us. Um, the other thing is, you know, sometimes we can't be in relationship with people, certain people. It's just not, it's not healthy for us, right? Does that kind of answer what you're thinking? Yeah. Uh, so you mentioned the importance of feeling your suffering and feeling your hurt. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously when we're doing that, it can leave us in positions of like deep vulnerabilities, mm -hmm. specifically like spiritually. Mm -hmm. How have you found that people can successfully protect themselves against that or suffer in a way that doesn't open them up to not that it doesn't open them up, but suffer in a way that is the most protective against like attacks from the devil or lies from the devil when they're trying to go through their suffering? Um, well, I think probably the first thing is uh, if you're being honest about your pain, that, you know, evil doesn't like honesty. And so finding someone that you can be vulnerable with, that you can trust, 
and share that. Where I think um, it can get messy for us, we human beings, is, um, and whether this is evil or not, I don't know, but we certainly have a tendency to judge our suffering. Um, and we tend, when we're in deep pain, um, look for ways to get out of the pain. If you have a toothache, you just want to get out of the toothache, right? Um, and emotional pain and psychological pain is exactly the same. Spiritual pain, it's exactly the same. And what do we do when we have pain that, that in a healthy way, we look for healthy people who are going to stay with us in it? Um, and trusting them. Trusting them. And, you know, can I say to you, trust yourselves, too? Um, um, you know, we think when we're suffering, um, you know, like sometimes we kind of like get in the, like we kind of suspend our trust in ourselves. And that can be okay to some degree, because I can think of times like when my husband died, I know I went to work, but I don't remember that I worked. Right? Um, people were around me that I could trust. Um, the other thing is when you have crazy thought, when you're really suffering something, and you have really crazy thoughts, which we all do, um, share it with somebody you trust. And that's when I want you to look for the unusual suspects. It may not be the people that you think it will be, but God does not leave us alone in that. There'll be somebody. I, you know, I would say prayer. I think everybody's thinking, well, you need to pray. But when you're really suffering, that is your prayer. When you're really suffering something, um, I hear over and over, I can't pray. And what a, what a witness of faith and courage is that, not prayer. You're, they're walking it. We're walking it. So don't shame yourself if you can't have the kind of prayer that you usually have. Uh, we talked a lot about how to deal with our own suffering. Um, what what advice could you give to offering, you know, uh, mm -hmm. compassion mm -hmm. or support to those who are suffering? Mm -hmm. How do you be the unusual suspect? Mm -hmm. um, and whether that's in abuse, trauma, or just the death of a whatever. child or whatever it may be, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, you know, the first thing I would say um, that I have learned is anyone that I'm with personally or in my work, um, they know a lot more about themselves than I do. So I let them teach me. And the way that that happens is by being curious about what they have to offer um, and really, truly heart listening. Um, and if you um, do a little exercise with yourself and pay attention when people are talking, when someone is talking to you, how often are we already thinking of an answer to what they're saying before they're finished, right? So anything, once we've started doing that, we don't hear anything that they say after, and that might be the most important part. So when I say enter in, I mean just be with them and, you know, just image yourselves as um, ourselves as vessels, empty vessels that we are um, like this jar that's open and can receive what someone has to offer, and let them teach us about their pain. Um, here's the thing. When I was in school getting my master's, thank goodness this didn't happen to me, but there was a person in my class. I would have been so humiliated. But the person in my class was talking, and she was going pontificating and going on and on about this was in a counseling class. And she was going on and on, and this professor said, Joan, there's only one God, and you're not him. And everybody was like, ah, you know, like, and I was like, I was so selfish. I was like, thank you that that wasn't me. Um, but the truth is we don't have to fit. People can't be fixed. They don't like to be fixed. And so just being with someone. When we think about receiving the Eucharist, um, we just walk up and we take our whole selves up and we meet the whole self of Jesus Christ, and we're just with one another. That's it. And so when someone is suffering, that's really what we're called to do, is to be with them um, and be relieved. I am so grateful that I know I don't have to be the answer to things, that I don't have to have them. 
and listen, not just with your ears, but with your heart. I don't know if this is really a question, more just kind of like your thoughts per se. Mm -hmm. So um, anyway, um, I remember you mentioned that love heals as alongside time pretty much. And it got me to thinking that like in some of my own sufferings in particular over the years that at least at first, I would never really kind of want to open up to anybody, you know, again, just at first. So, so it got, it got me thinking that, that like, um, that sometimes maybe even though you want to share with somebody and have somebody listen to you, but there can come to a point at least I can think of a few times for myself where maybe the person or people you've shared it with that you don't necessarily just want to talk, want them to talk about that with you all, all the time when you do talk to them. So, so again, how can you, in that kind of a situation, like, you know, to be there for somebody, but at the same time, like kind of not like imposing on them, like, do you kind of get what I'm saying? Are you the person who's helped the listener person? Or are you the person who's, needing like like if you're suffering if there's something that you're struggling with and you've shared it and people kind of keep wanting to talk or think you want to keep talking about it and you don't you know what use your voices and say no thank you I, I need space I need time I need quiet you know all I can tell you is when I think about the victims of of priest abuse and others that I've, I've been privileged to be with um, it is never, uh, you know, people talk a lot about um, the settlements that people ask for and the money that's involved. Um, can I tell you, we've never once in our diocese, never once had somebody ask us for money as part of their healing. Never once. And Bishop Rhodes is amazing. There's never been anything that I've asked of him to give someone that he hasn't given, and that could be We've given pickup trucks and paid bail and back taxes and, um, you know, certainly lots of counseling. But when he has the meetings with the victims, that's when the healing happens. It's never what we do. It's who we're with, who we are with that person. And most of those meetings, he and I sit there and don't say anything. We just receive that person. I don't know. Does that answer your question? Kind of. Is that what you're asking? Yeah. yeah. Thanks so much for what you've said. I have a question. How would you recommend walking with someone um, who has kind of gaslighted themselves into thinking something horrific that happened to them was a good thing? in the it doesn't kill you makes what doesn't kill you makes you stronger type mentality with without like invalidating them that this is how they've come to cope with it you know so i have to qualify all this with it depends on the relationship right i mean i don't want to avoid answering the question but like if you're a good good friend um well then of course you might challenge that kind of thinking on the other hand um, you don't want to rush people. If they're really suffering from something or they've had a trauma or there's been an experience that has traumatized them in some way, um, they're entitled to be where they are and to think and feel what they feel and what they think. Um, now, as long as that's not in an unhealthy space. Um, but we move with them. Let them lead. They'll show us, um, you know, people sh will show us. Um, but a lot of times... Um, you know why we really um, kind of want people to feel better when they're really struggling with something, why we get impatient? Why do you think that is? It's hard to watch people suffer. There's nothing worse. And so um, sometimes I might be in a space if something really traumatic happens where I think, okay, that didn't kill me. Um, I'm going to be stronger for it. And I just need you to know that. And somebody says that to me. And like at that moment, you might have to be there with them and let them be there for a while. Now, if somebody stays there and again, you're a good friend of that person and you're not seeing any movement, well, then you probably have to start challenging it. Does that make sense? Is that what you're, 
if it's somebody I don't know very well, um, I'm really cautious, right? I mean, if, if this is somebody we don't know that well, we really want to be cautious because the truth is everyone carries lots of stuff that we don't know about. I feel kind of bad because uh, when you were talking at the first, you mentioned something about holding loosely and my brain literally just like forgot what you said. So could you actually explain a little sure. bit more on that? Because I, um, sure. cause I remember we in my small group, we were kind of mentioning something about it and I just feel like that could be something sure. really more impactful yeah. that I could you know, yeah. learn from. Yeah. When we decide, when something uh, happens to us, um, and it can be good or bad, if we decide that it has to look a certain way in order for it to be good or good for us, uh, we kind of box ourselves in. So I'm trying to think of an example that would be good for you. If a, if if you if one of you decide that you know you have to have a job in a particular, well, no, let's make it relational. You have to have this relationship, and if you cannot have this relationship, you can never be happy. And the truth is, you will never have that relationship. What are you doing to yourself, right? Okay, so it's not wrong to have hopes and dreams and desires. It's not wrong. It's good to have all of those things. But when we decide that something has to look a certain way and it can't happen, then we've boxed ourselves in to misery and suffering, right? So it's like to hold all of that loosely, um, especially when we're suffering. And again, I was speaking specifically when we think about the people that we think, um, when I think about the traumas in my life, the people that I thought were going to be the ones who were like real steadfast and, st and be there all the time, forever. You know what? They weren't. Some were, but some really surprising ones weren't. So I didn't want to decide that I couldn't ever find healing if they didn't change. So I hold loosely what something has to look like and let God work in that and show with amazement there might be different people or different answers. Okay. You know what? You are awesome. And I just, you know, we often say um, uh, the young are the future of the church. Well, I want to say something to you. You are the church right now, right? This very moment. And so I want to encourage you to use your voices and your um, energy and sometimes your bodies in your parishes and the churches. Um, but I just want to thank you for all that you bring to our parishes and to the diocese. We're very, very grateful for you. So God bless you.